great to be here. Uh, thanks for the warm welcome that you have uh, already given me. Um, as Alec mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm part of the pastoral team in the, in the, in the church, Sovereign Grace Church in, in Juarez, Mexico. Uh, it's a church that's been there for more than 35 years. Uh, and uh, the Lord is uh, moving through that, in that church and through that church in, in marvelous ways. And, and He's doing here. The, the, the gospel is being preached over there too. And uh, Jesus Christ is being exalted at our local church. Um, and the Spirit of God is, is moving. And He's saving people. And it's transforming them into disciples that are following our Savior with us as part of our local church. In um, uh, like right now, we're we're part of a region of churches, a, a Mexican region of churches. There are twelve uh, churches in in our region. Uh, th these are thriving churches by by the grace of God. What we're looking in Juarez. It's, it's happening all around our, our country. The, the gospel is, is, being, is, is advancing also in different regions from, from Mexico. This, this year at our local church, we are, we're planting two more churches by, by the grace of God. One in Tamaulipas and the other one in Oaxaca. Uh, we, um, we, we host a... Um, a, a national conference, a, a Mexican national conference, uh, that this year, it's called Fieles a Su Llamado, uh, this year, uh, the attendance will be uh, of around 500 pastors and leaders of, of different parts of our, of our country. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's an important conference, a, a growing conference, that the, the Lord is using to strengthen his church in all of our, our country. Because of that conference, there are around 14 churches that are approaching to us and seeking adoption from, from Sovereign Grace. They want to be part of, of Sovereign Grace also. So that means that if everything keeps running like this, probably in the next two years, we're, we're gonna, going to have a region of around 25 churches in Mexico. 25 churches by, by the grace of God. This, I, I, I tell you this because your, your, your pastors asked me to do it. And, um, and, and just to encourage you that in the midst of all the violence and instability that characterizes, I was going to say my country, but actually is the entire world, right? In the midst of the instability and violence that characterizes our era, the kingdom of God is going forward. The kingdom of God is going forward. And Jesus is building his church faithfully. And that's what we're seeing in Mexico. So uh, continue to pray for us, please. Pray for us that we will be faithful in what the Lord has called us to do. Yes? Thank you. Well, having, having said that, 
I want to I ask you to pray with me in order for, for us to start the, the message. Uh, so if you will bow your, your head with me. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you together for reaching us. We want to thank you that you approached us and uh, despite of our rebellion and sinfulness, you saved us. We thank you for that. I want to I ask you again that you will enable me and help me to serve the church you love, to serve this people that you have called to yourself and that you're working in them and through them. In Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Good. Let me, let me start with this question. How does personal change happen? How do we progress in our sanctification? We instinctively conclude that spiritual growth is produced mainly by our effort, mainly by our discipline and self-denial. And even though these practices are requirements for our sanctification, I do need to emphasize and suggest to you that they're not the main means of transformation. In the New Testament, we see a foundational logic for growth that is counterintuitive. Sinclair Ferguson, a well-renowned Scottish pastor, mentions in his book, Devoted to God, that knowing our new identity in Christ determines the way we live. Ferguson emphasizes that the New Testament teaches that we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. As Romans 12.2 teaches us. That we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Particularly as we grow in our understanding and delight of who we are in Christ. Let me ask you again a question. Who are you? Who are you? This is obviously a very complex question, and the Bible has plenty of answers for it. But for the sake of this message, my simple goal is to shed some light to that inquiry and help you see that if you are a genuine believer, you are a man or a woman that is united to Christ. A man or a woman that is united to Christ. And I seek to, to help you with this because as we understand and delight in this amazing reality, our joy in Christ arises. Our security in Him is strengthened and we're powerfully transformed. And we are powerfully transformed by that experience. Today we will look at an important passage that will help us understand what it means that as believers we are united to Christ. The title of my message is We Are United to Christ and we will see it in three simple points. 
the reality of our union with Christ, the depth of our union with Christ, and the formula to experience our union with Christ. All this is based on Romans 6, verses 1 to 11. This text, I need to tell you, is a very deep passage. And the apostle presents his argument in a slightly confused way. But in order to present the topic of my sermon in a more clearer form and and serve you better, I I organized the message in these three points. The reality, the depth, and the formula. Let us read the text together. Romans 6, verses 1 to 11. I read the word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves death to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Point number one, the reality of our union with Christ. Please look with me again in verse 5. It says, if we have been united to Christ. What does this phrase mean? United to Christ. That's, That's what we want to explore today. Let me tell you an interesting fact. The Apostle Paul never calls believers Christians. He never calls believers Christians. Have you realized that? Again and again, Paul identifies believers as those who are in Christ. As a people united to Christ. And in this verse, he explains in a detailed way what does that what does union with Christ means, and he does this through the illustration of the sacrament of baptism. Let's, let's talk about the, the context real, real, really quick. Romans is Paul's magnus opus. 
And he explains to the Jews in Rome and Greeks the gospel of Jesus Christ and its implications for believers as nowhere in the New Testament. And from chapters 3 to 5, Paul has been expounding verse after verse how the perfect sacrifice, sacrifice of Christ on the cross has justified freely all those who put their trust in Christ. He has taught them that because of Christ's glorious sacrifice, every believer is eternally secure. Every believer is eternally secure. Why? Because his justification doesn't depend on his performance, but on the grace of God that he's been placed upon him because of what Christ did on our behalf. Actually, Paul finishes chapter 5, the chapter right before the, the, the passage that we're studying, with a radical expression that it's not easy to, to swallow. Let me read it to you. Romans 5.20 Now, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's what Paul's been teaching the Romans. Christ died in your behalf, and because of that perfect sacrifice, the, the, the grace of a holy God is upon you, and that grace is indestructible. So you are safe. You're eternally secure. Actually, when our sins increase, grace abounds all the more. The Apostle Paul knows and foresees that this gospel presentation brought up some questions in his audience. So he starts to address them in chapter 6. That's, that's, that's our first verse. What, what, what does our first verse says? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's, let's grasp a little bit the question with this question with its surrounding implications. If as believers, we have been already justified before God, does it really matter how we live? Have you asked that yourself? If we have already been made righteous by the grace of God and these statues will never change, does it really matter if I strive to live a holy life? If as a church, we will never be condemned anymore, but will be accepted by grace at the last day, and if this grace is indestructible, does it really matter if I sin? If where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Then why don't we continue to live in sin so that grace may abound even more? That's what Paul is addressing in our chapter. And, and he starts answering this incorrect interpretation of the gospel, telling the Romans that it's impossible 
for a true believer, believer to continue to live in sin. Not to sin, but to continue to live in sin. Why? Because when he came to Christ, a radical change happened inside of him. A definite change happened inside of him. What is this change? He died to sin. Read with me verse 2, the second part. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The Apostle Paul is correcting this misinterpretation of the gospel. And he does that not by teaching the Romans of the seriousness of sin and the righteous punishment that those who live in sin will receive. But what Paul does, and this is very important, Paul deepens even more in what he has been telling them on the chapters before. He deepens even more on the radical work of grace that God did in them. He delves even deeper in the definite, extraordinary, massive work that the Lord has done in all those who have believed in Jesus. Let me tell you this. If you have believed in Christ, something radical has happened inside of you. A change, a massive change has happened inside of you. This is what Romans, what Paul is teaching the Romans. And he does so by reminding them of their baptism. And not only reminding them of their baptism, but describing to them what happened when they believed in Christ and were baptized. Look at the tremendous question that he poses to the Romans on verse 3. Do you not, not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? As I told you before, Paul is not telling the Romans or reminding the Romans that they were baptized. He's explaining to them what their baptism meant. And he's telling them something like this. If you really understood your new identity in Christ, you simply cannot continue to live in sin. Why? Because when you believed in Jesus, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were united to Christ. Baptism is a powerful sacrament that symbolizes the radical work that the Lord did in us in the spiritual realm. Just as we were immersed in the waters when we were baptized, we were spiritually immersed into Christ Jesus when we genuinely believed. We have been baptized into Christ Jesus. We have been immersed into Christ Jesus. When we put our trust in Him, the Father took us and joined us 
to Christ Jesus. He inserted us into him. Therefore, as believers, we are in him. We live in him. We are inside of him as covered by him. The New Testament tells us that the believer lives hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ since he was immersed in him. Christ lives within us and we live within him. Let me read you a verse on, on John chapter 14, 20, where Jesus is talking about this union dynamic. John 14, 20, it says, In that day you will know, this is Jesus speaking, you will know that I am in the Father. So Jesus is tell, telling us he is in the Father. And you in me, and I in you. Do you see the dynam dynamic of our union with Christ there on that verse? The New Testament tells us that Christ lives inside of every believer. We have known that since children's ministry, right? Christ lives inside of every believer. Well, that's not the end of the story. Not only Christ lives inside of us, but as believers, we live inside of him. We live inside of him. As believers, we are covered with Christ. Therefore, when the Father sees us, he does not see our shame. He does not see our failures. He does not see our sins, but the perfect righteousness of Jesus that has covered us. He sees us in Christ and therefore he accepts us, approves us, and blesses us. Let me tell you this. When the Father looks at you, his face is illuminated. He, he smiles. He delights in you because of Christ's sacrifice. Because of Christ's work on our behalf, the, the, the heart of God is inclined to favor us, to bless us, to help us, to comfort us, simply because we are in Christ. I want to show you real quick a, a photo of, of one of my kids to, to tell you that whenever I see a, a picture, th th this picture of, of my daughter or of any, any of my, my, my kids, a unique delight springs from my heart. I look at it and my heart rejoices. Not because of how perfectly dressed my, my daughter is, not, not because of the perfect record of obedience she has, but because of who she is. Because she's my daughter, and I love her. I want to tell you this again. When the Father looks at you, He delights in you. 
not because of your impeccable performance, but because of who you are, but because you are united to Christ and he loves and delights in his son, Jesus Christ. Do you want to grow in godliness? Do you want to see real progress in your sanctification? Learn to see yourself as one who is united to Christ. That is your identity. One that is covered, dressed by Christ's righteousness. And therefore, that has the delight of the Father. This takes us to point number two. The depth of our union with Christ. In the following verses, Paul helps us to see concretely what that union with Christ consists of. And what implications does it have for our lives today? Sinclair Ferguson again comments that in this passage, we can see our union with Christ like through the lens of a microscope. That Romans 6 functions as a magnifying glass to which we can see that by uniting us with Christ, the Father united us spiritually to his death and to his life. Read it with me, please, in, in verses 4 all the way to 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We were united to Christ, to his death, and we were united to Christ to his life. Consider this. When we were immersed into Christ, when we were joined into Christ Jesus by the Father, we were immersed in his death too. When Christ was nailed to the cross and died, receiving the wrath of God, we were there too. You were there too. All of our sins were being chastised, punished in that particular moment. Why? Because we are united to Him. When Christ died on the cross, we also died because we are united to Him, united to His death. Remember with me that Christ died as our substitute. He died paying for all of our sins. And if we were united to him when he hung on that cross, we were crucified with him. That's what verse 6 is telling us. This means that the punishment for all of our wickedness was completely paid. That the debt we had with God because of our rebellion was totally settled. Consider this with me. If Christ died 
once for all, and we were joined in that death, that means that the punishment that Jesus received was for all of our wickedness, for all of our sins. Not only the sins we committed before coming to Jesus, but the sins, even the sins after our conversion, and even the last sin we will commit before being called into his presence. On the cross, our past, present, and future sins were fully paid. Why? Because we were united to him on that cross. That is why the, the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Present tense. There's no condemnation for us today. Why? Because our sins were paid. The wrath of God that we deserve was displayed on Jesus Christ on the cross. That means that as believers, we will never see the wrath of God. We will never be punished for our sins. Every situation that is happening in our lives, any, every painful situation has this lens that goes through. Every hard situation that is happening in our lives, it's an expression of grace and God's goodness. Why? Because He's not condemning us. He's blessing us in everything He allows in our lives. As we learn to delight in the unconditional and complete forgiveness that the Father has freely given us, we will be transformed. As we learn to delight that we are forgiven men and forgiven woman, accepted man and accepted woman, as we learn to delight in that reality, we're powerfully transformed. We're powerfully moved to honor Jesus as, and we will be pressed to please him with our entire lives. Being united to Christ means that we have been united to his death. But that's not all. In this verse, Paul tells us also that in a mysterious way, those who are in Christ are already dead with him. We're already dead with him. Look, look with me at verse 8 on the first part. Now, if we have died with Christ, that's past tense. When we were baptized, we were immersed in water. We were immersed in water. And it manifested externally something that happened to us internally. That by taking refuge in Christ by faith, we were buried with Christ. We were buried with Christ, that we were united to his death and that our old self died with him. And when this definitive, radical, massive work happened in us, we were freed 
from the dominion of sin. Read with me verses 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Do you know what is the implication that the Apostle Paul is drawing from our union with Christ? It's telling us that those who are in Christ, united with Christ, are no longer slaves to sin. I want to ask you this. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that ambition, greed, bitterness, pride, lust, immorality, selfishness, unbelief does not have power over you? That sin can't dominate your life? Or do you unconsciously think that you're never going to change? When slavery was abolished here in the U.S. in 1863, history tells us that some of the slaves did not know how to respond to the good news of freedom that were given to them. Some of the slaves that were completely free continued to live as slaves. They simply did not dare to walk in the fullness of the good news of freedom they had received. Is, is something similar happening to us? People who are in Christ, completely free from the dominion of sin but that sometimes continue to live as slaves of sin. Do you not dare to walk in the goodness of the good news of freedom that you have received in the gospel? You want to make real progress in your walk with Christ? Dare to believe that because you are united to Christ, you have been freed from sin. A believer has been united to Christ in his death. All our, pay, all our sins have been paid for and we have been freed from sin. But that's not only the thing that, that Paul is teaching here. He tells us also that we have been united to Christ in his death, but also that we have been united to Christ in his life. Look with me to verses 4 and 5. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
Water baptism, it's, it's a powerful illustration. It, it not only helps us to see that union with Christ, that we were united to Christ when we were immersed in the waters, that we were united to his death, but, but what happens when we are immersed in the waters? We're pulled out of the waters. We're pulled out of the waters. That, that symbolizes that we are raised from death to life. From a life enslaved by sin to a newness of life. Free from sin. When you put your trust in Jesus, something radical chap happened in you. The Holy Spirit came to you and made his dwelling in you. He invaded your life. And in that precise moment, you were united to Christ, to a living Christ. You were united to a living Christ, a resurrected Christ, a powerful Christ that defeated death and sin and all the powers of darkness. This means that as believers, we have been, been fr freed from sin, but also that we have been enabled by the power of the resurrected Christ to live a life full of justice, love, and purity. Let me assure you of this. Yes, we can walk in God's wills for our lives. Yes, we can accomplish all His purposes for us. Yes, we can walk in purity in this pornographic era. Yes, we can stay faithful to the Lord and His Word in the midst of the opposition that it's growing and running toward us. Yes, we can live a life full of peace in the midst of a violent and murderous generation. Yes, we can forgive. Yes, we can walk in humility. Yes, we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. Yes, we can be faithful parents and husbands. Yes, we can glorify Christ with our lives. Why? Because Christ lives in us. And we are united to his life. We have been united to the power of his resurrection. When I was studying this passage the first time, frankly, I kept thinking that enjoying and experiencing this life of Christ is like an unknown dimension to me. I, I even started seeing other passages in Scripture more, more clearly. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. This is Paul. Paul speaking again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Think with me in this. Paul, who knew Christ better than any of us and understood the implications of our union with him better than any of us, had this unsatiable desire 
to know more of Christ and to experience more of his life in him. He wanted to know more of the power of his resurrection. Because of our union with Christ, there is more power available for us than we could dream of. The power of his life. The power of his resurrection is available for us. And it's more than enough. Christ's life. Christ living inside of us. The power of his resurrection is more than enough to enable us to obey and trust and honor our Savior in any given circumstance. When someone really believes this, something happens in his life. He lives with a spiritual hunger for more. He's seeking for more. When someone believes that the Father is, has his favor upon him, and that there's more power enabled to, to strengthen him so he can obey him, there is the, the person that believes that has a spiritual hunger for more. And you know what happens? He seeks more. He, he, he seeks more of Christ and more of that power. And he who seeks more of this resurrection power experiences it more and enjoys it more. The other thing that came into my mind when I was studying this was why as a church sometimes instead of being characterized by this powerful resurrection life we are sometimes identified by our legalism by our bitterness by our jealousy by our envy by our lack of joy our pride our fear our divisions, our sexual sins. Why? It is possible that one of the reasons of this is that as a church, we haven't really understood how easy the Christian life is. It is possible that one of the reasons we are not identified as people full of resurrection power. It's because we haven't understood how easy the Christian life is. We have not really grasped what I have called the formula for experiencing our union with Christ. But it's our last point. Look with me on verse 10 and 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What do we need to experience? The fullness 
of our union with Christ. It is so simple that we are easily tempted to underestimate what Paul is telling us here. Do you want to know the secret? Read with me again verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Simply dare to believe that you are united with Christ. Simply dare to believe that your identity has changed. Simply dare to believe that your old self died in Him. Simply dare to believe that your condemnation was absorbed, absorbed by, by, by Christ on the cross. Simply dare to believe that sin no longer has dominion over you. And that the Holy Spirit is in you to enable you, to empower you with the resurrection power of Christ so you can walk in His ways. Simply dare to believe this and you're going to experience it. Read verse 11 with me again. So you, church... God is talking to us. So you must consider. Consider yourself. Regard yourself. Think of yourself. Count yourself. Understand yourself. Dead to sin. And alive to God. In Christ Jesus. There's our union with Christ. Simply dare to believe that because you are united to Christ. It's possible that some of you are, are hearing me and are thinking, just by believing, just by believing we're going to make a significant progress in our sanctification, simply by believing these truths? Come on. What about resisting our flesh? What about resisting sin? What about self-denial? What about giving ourselves to God sacrificially? What about passionate obedience? You're right. You're right in all, that all these imperatives are part of our sanctification. They're actually recorded in the following verses. In verses 12 to 14. But please hear me on this. We can't walk correctly on the imperatives of verses 12 to 14 if we haven't fully grasped verse 11. You can't walk in obedience, obeying verses 12 to 14, if you haven't grasped verse 11. We can't deny ourselves. We can't resist sin. We can't obey the commandments if we don't fully grasp and delight in all the riches that are ours because of our union with Christ. 
We are easily tempted to seek our sanctification, ignoring or just passing by verse 11. We, we naturally think, what do we need to change? How do I change? I need to discipline myself more. I need to put more effort. I need to deny myself. Instead of realizing that verse 11 is the foundation for our sanctification. If you want to grow in godliness, you need to stand on solid ground. And let me tell you this. We are not solid ground. Our performance is not solid ground. Why? Because sometimes we do things good. And in other times, we miss the spot, right? We need to stand on solid ground. And that's verse 11. Consider yourself, yourselves, death to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the foundation of our walk with Christ. In order for us to walk in holiness, we need first and foremost to believe and delight in the massive work that the Lord has done for us when we were united to His Son, Jesus Christ. Imagine a man, imagine with me a man with a new, powerful wingsuit. A wingsuit that is more than capable of making him fly and hold him up safely in the sky. Imagine with me that he's at the edge of the Grand Canyon, all perfectly dressed up, and he asks his instructor, how can I fly? And the instructor simply tells him, just believe that the suit that you have is more than capable of making you fly. And therefore, just stretch out your hands and venture to jump off the cliff. Just jump and you will fly. Just jump and you will fly. Let us believe, brothers, the good news of our union with Christ. And let us venture to jump to the newness of life that the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for, for your word. And we thank you together for speaking to us through your word. We ask that you will help us to understand who we are in your sight. 
Help us to see ourselves as united to Christ. And help us to enjoy all the grace and all the riches that are ours because of Jesus. So that we could be empowered to walk in your ways. And you could be honored to our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand so we can sing. And as you stand, please uh, thank you, Brother Alex, for that amazing message of who we are in Christ. Thank you. Here's our opportunity to ask God for, to make us believe these things and to know that we are united in Christ in his life and his death. Let's sing. There is no other so sure and steady. My hope is held in Jesus is 
is made. 